Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. I'm Brandon Ward. And I'm Ron Jorlock. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Today, we are joined by a very special guest all the way from the great state of Texas, Pastor (laughs) Juan Sanchez. Dr. Sanchez is the senior pastor of High Point Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. I'm just going to insert a quick hook'em right here. I Uh, I knew it was coming. Any moment, I knew it was coming. It's like a reflex. Uh, Dr. Sanchez has authored several books, including 1 Peter for You, Seven Dangers Facing Your Church, and the book we're going to discuss today, The Leadership Formula. Brother, we are honored uh, to have you join today's discussion. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It's my honor. Absolutely. So let's jump right in. Uh, You wrote this book on leadership last year. Can you share a little bit about what made you want to tackle this topic of leadership? Uh, And if you could also maybe provide just a a definition of what biblical leadership is. Sure, sure. Yeah, so uh, in in the church, um, the church goes as the leadership goes. And we see this in the history of Israel, don't we? And so the, the bottom line is, you know, as I think about what does it mean to be the image of God or to to be God's image, um, God had a pattern, a paradigm, a plan for the creation of humanity, which was to rule creation through a son who would be king. Mm-hmm. And that that pattern is is what we call the the image of God. We reflect God's image as we rule and reign over the creation as we were designed to rule and reign over the creation, representing his rule here on the earth. And and that involves reflecting his character, his goodness, you know, his wisdom, um, and and also care uh, over the creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the the pattern of the image of God is a pattern of of sonship, kingship, and priesthood. That's all in Genesis one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, within a covenant relationship for the purpose of mission. And, and the mission that Adam and Eve were given were, was to reproduce the image of God until the whole earth filled the glory of God. Of course, they rebelled against God, mm-hmm. and God removed them from his presence, the place of his presence. But the mission didn't change. And, and what we actually see is this principle of the image of God uh, being a part of humanity, right? Sonship, kingship, priesthood, in covenant relationship with the purpose of mission, you know, we, we see this in Abraham in Genesis 14. He's treated as a king. Even though he's not directly called God's son, that's actually what a covenant does. It brings people not in relation into relation. And then, of course, Israel is the corporate Adam or image of God. And that's where the language develops of royal priesthood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the royal priesthood language is image of God language. Mm-hmm. And it's within a covenant relationship. And the purpose is to display God's wisdom and character and nature to the world and to show God's rule through through his people to the world. And and so uh, leadership is ingrained, I argue, in, in, the, in the concept of the image of God. Mm-hmm. And of course, Israel rebelled like the first Adam, and mm-hmm. Jesus is the true image of the invisible God, the faithful son, mm-hmm. you know, the, the faithful priest, uh, who who is also king, mm-hmm. uh, and he establishes a new covenant, and for the purpose of mission, right? 
and that's to gather the people of God back to God under a new covenant. And so uh, we are the image of God, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 1 Peter 2.9. So that, that's a quick biblical theology of image of God leadership, the idea that God, uh, God's eternal plan is to exalt his son, Jesus Christ, is king and Lord over all things to display his wisdom and character and nature over all things through his beloved son who is king and Lord and to place all things under his authority and to unite all things fractured by sin in Christ. Mm -hmm. Ephesians 1, right? Mm -hmm. And so the ascended Christ, his gift at his church and structured his church for this mission, Ephesians 4.11. Apostles and prophets, the foundation of the church, those who have received the revelation of God that Jesus is the Christ, evangelists, those who propagate this gospel to where Jesus is not named, and pastors and teachers, those who then teach the church. All these are given to the church to equip the church for the work of ministry so that they then speak this truth and love to one another until what? Until we all attain the image of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so, so leadership, I think, is ingrained in the concept of the image of God. And to to define leadership from a biblical perspective is, in many ways, is just simply to display the image of God. That's Mm -hmm. one shorthand way to to say it. But it is to lead God's people in a way that we display his rule and care uh, over his people uh, in a way that we lead them to Christ until until we present them complete in Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, that's Colossians 1. And so, so the idea is that Jesus is the image of God. He is the chief shepherd, and he has gifted the church human shepherds to shepherd the flock of God among them to the presence of God, mm. to the mm. celestial city, to use you know John Bunyan's language. Mm. Yeah, That's so good, and I love the definition you use in your book that biblical leaders are men uh, of godly character who maintain biblical convictions, loving care for the congregation, and display sufficient competency in handling the Bible. Just yeah. a solid yeah. definition that covers all of that. Yeah, and that's just, uh, so the, the, you asked the why I wrote the book. Because what I just explained is a mouthful. Mm-hmm. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to put these concepts mm-hmm. that emerge from Scripture in a memorable way. Mm-hmm. And that's what the leadership formula is. is just simply what Scripture says about leadership in the church. Mm-hmm. It is primarily about the church. And, of course, the pattern for leadership in the church is is consistent with the pattern, pattern for leadership in the home established in Genesis 1 and 2, mm-hmm. right? Man and woman are both equal as God's image. Uh, there's no one better than the other, but we have distinct roles. Right. Mm-hmm. The man was created to, to, to lead, and the woman was created to come alongside and help in that leadership. That pattern in Genesis 1 and 2 is to be reflected in the church. Right. And so the, the, the language that tips us off when Paul specifically is talking about leadership, there are two phrases, faithful men and apt to teach. Mm-hmm. So when Paul talks about faithful men who are apt to teach, uh, he's talking about elders or pastors or overseers. That language is interchangeable. And so, you know, part of the responsibility of the church and its leadership is to raise up faithful men. So mm-hmm. so one of my driving passages of Scripture for my, minist- my personal ministry is, is 2 Timothy 2.2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, says Paul to Timothy, entrust to, and here's the first phrase, faithful men, and the second phrase, who will be able to teach others also. Mm-hmm. And so Paul is about to die, and, and he's encouraging Timothy to hang in there, 
to not abandon his post, uh, to finish the race, you know, to, to do everything that Paul did. But in addition to that, he's telling him, but also you need to train up faithful men mm-hmm. who will be able to teach others also. Mm-hmm. so that they will continue teaching so that until Christ returns, this gospel legacy continues. Right. Yeah. Man, this is good. <laughs> uh, the, it's just solid, not just uh, in terms of your definition of, of leadership, but just building it off of uh, uh, biblical theology right. and the story of Scripture is fabulous. Uh, what are some major issues in leadership today? Yeah. Well, even from from Genesis 3, we, we see... There are two major issues as a result of sin, mm-hmm. as a result of Adam's sin, right? And so in Genesis 3, we see that Adam was right there when Eve took the fruit, when mm-hmm. she was, the serpent was speaking to her. He was right there. So, so he seems to be passive in that context mm-hmm. because he was right there and she gave the fruit to him while he was right there. Um, but then, uh, you know, in, in, in Genesis 3, you also have the idea of the curse and and God tells the serpent that there's going to be enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the man. So sin, as a result of sin, now there are two competing lines of offspring. Mm-hmm. You know, before it was just the children of God who were to be reproduced until the image of God covered the earth. Mm-hmm. But now there's the children of God and the children of the devil. So you have competing offspring. And and then you, you have the curse to the woman that says your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Mm -hmm. And we have to understand that in the context that it's a curse. Mm -hmm. So the desire is not necessarily a good thing. And and as as I read it, I look at Genesis 4, 7 to give us light Mm -hmm. where God tells Cain, you know, sin's desire is for you, but you must Mm -hmm. rule over it. Mm -hmm. Same language. And so the idea is, I think, you know, we have this pattern established where the man was to lead and the woman was to come alongside and follow. Satan turns that pattern upside down. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost as if God is saying oh, to the woman, okay, you 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 want to be in charge? Have at it. That's going to be your desire. Mm-hmm. Your desire is going to be to control your husband. Mm-hmm. His desire is going to be to control you. Yeah. And so what you have is a battle for control. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so so these are the kinds of things that emerge from from Adam's sin that affect us still to this day. We see this in marital relationships, yeah. you know. So, so there's this battle for domination, and um, and, and the curse to the woman again in general, um, and the you know the the woman uh, will want to dominate the the man, and the man will try to dominate the woman. And so, what you have there is sinful leadership, mm-hmm. right? Uh, man is not created to domineer the woman. The man is never told, whether Old or New Testament, to put the woman in her place. Mm-hmm. The man is to provide a reflection of God's leadership so that the woman can safely come under that leadership and join him, mm-hmm. and together they fulfill the task that God has given them. And so so two dangers that stand out. One is passivity mm-hmm. in leadership which we see mm-hmm. in, in, in marital counseling over, you know, decades of ministry, um, one of the main complaints I hear from Christian women is passive leadership in the home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That passive leadership in the home, ironically, um, uh, some men become workaholics uh, and they seem to function well at, in the workplace because they have leadership in the home because in some cases the woman is continually critical, mm-hmm. 
and um, and and cynical, and and a man will be drawn away from that and want to lead where he is affirmed and accepted. So again, the, the part of the curse, this mm-hmm. this this conflict, this perpetual conflict. What we see in leadership are those two same kinds of ideas and a spectrum in between. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not like oh you know one is given to passivity or one is given to domineering. No, we we tend to fluctuate between the two. Mm-hmm. In some cases, we're domineering. In yeah. some cases, we're passive. Yeah, yeah. You know, a man can be domineering with his children in the home, but passive in, in spiritual leadership. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it, it's the same in, in biblical leadership in, in the church. You know, uh, some men are passive and some men are domineering. You know, and right now we're living in a culture where we're hearing about a lot of domineering leadership mm. in the church, yeah. Mm. abusive yeah. kind of leadership. Mm-hmm. And I think that abusive kind of leadership flows out of insecurity mm. and out of fear. Yeah. You know, fear produces domineering tyrants. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen this mm-hmm. as I've traveled through throughout Latin America and socialist countries. You know, dictators are are dictating out of fear, yeah. mm-hmm. and 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 one of those fears is loss of power mm-hmm. and to domineer, mm-hmm. and so th- those are those are some of the leadership issues that that we see in in a big picture way. Yeah. The spectrum from passivity to to domineering and, mm-hmm. and tyranny. So let's mm-hmm. talk about the domineering mm-hmm. type of leadership. Mm-hmm. If you're a, if you're a pastor or a staff member serving within an, a toxic environment with that domineering leadership, yeah. Yeah. at what point should you consider leaving or or should you <laughs> should you wait it out? Like what how would yeah. you Yeah. Uh, so here's here's the first thing. So, you know, with with all the buzz about domineering leadership in the church right now, one of my concerns is that a lot is going to be labeled domineering and mm. tyrant. You know, a lot of leaders are going to be, you know, labeled tyrants and abusive. And so I think part of what's happening or will happen is the word abuse is going to lose any definition. Mm. Because if everything's abuse, then nothing is abuse. Right, right. right. So we have to be very clear in understanding that we're all, we're all sinners, right, saved by God's grace. And we all struggle. You know, in, in my home, let's give one example, in my home, I was passive for the first six years of our marriage. And my wife prayed for me as my helper. She prayed for me. She didn't nag. She didn't criticize. She prayed for me. She tried to put books in my face, you know, to help me think about some things. We went to a parenting conference, and, and, and the Lord just broke me at that point. And then I began to take up leadership in the home. You know, so that's a, that's a picture from the from the passive perspective. But, you know, from the domineering perspective, you know, I was in the military, and uh, I was in the Navy, and my desire was to, to be commissioned in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as we were having children, you know, I was, if you know the sound of music, I was Captain Von Trapp <laughs> without the whistle, <laughs> right? I wanted to run a ship-shaped home. Mm-hmm. And so um, and my wife pulled me aside. She said, Juan, do you want a better homes and garden home or or do you want a relationship with your children? I said, mm-hmm. can we do both? Yeah. And, so, <laughs> and she said, well, let's work on the relationship with our children. And so she has been an amazing helper to me in my passivity and then in my uh, just desire for control. I mean, mm-hmm. we all have those proclivities right. mm-hmm. in us. Mm-hmm. And so I, I share those stories just to point, you know, from my perspective, I was never abusive, but and, – and I was really – I was – I was not neglectful, but I was passive hmm. for a season, and I was domineering in in certain aspects, particularly in parenting. And my wife graciously spoke to me, gently rebuked me, 
help me to see my faults and help me to see the value of leading our children in the context of a home where it's filled with yeses and it's a sweet aroma uh, and and because I'm a sinner and I'm growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ, um, the Lord allowed me to to humble myself, receive her rebuke, and and correct my ways. Mm-hmm. And so I think as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to understand the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and I would add unto sanctification. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> and we forget that. We we forget that. And so we we need to humble ourselves. Uh, because we all have proclivities in, in different seasons of life. And so if you're in a, an environment, let's say it's not toxic, but let, let's say um, there is what appears to be domineering, since you, you wanted to go in that direction, what appears to be domineering leadership. Um, seek to have the kind of relationship where you can approach the leader. And the best way that I've learned is to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, brother, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, but lately— um, when you've been saying some things, uh, this is how it's coming off. This is how it sounds, mm-hmm. at least to me. You can ask others, but at least to me, is there something going on? You know, are you under particular pressure in your life? And I think if we cultivate the kind of environments, God, you know, uh, Ray Ortland and Sam Albury have that podcast, mm-hmm. and they're talking about gospel culture. Mm-hmm. If we can cultivate environments where there's true gospel culture, mm-hmm. where we can encourage in godly ways and criticize in godly ways and receive encouragement and receive criticism in godly ways, we need to seek to cultivate those cultures where we're encouraging one another. Now, mm-hmm. that's what that's the ideal, yeah. right? Yeah. But there are some situations where there's toxic leadership. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say when you're going to look for a job, look for a church, work in an institution, this should be one of your questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm the leadership culture of mm-hmm. that church, that institution. You want right. to know about those things. You want to ask people that were under that leadership because toxic leadership cultures are are not only harmful, but they're exhausting. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they're dangerous. They're dangerous to your own well-being. And they can be dangerous to your family's well-being, especially when that toxic leadership is demanding of your time in such a way that they're asking you to sacrifice your family on the altar of loyalty mm-hmm. or or institution or or whatever. Uh, so if you if you cannot, if you're not in a culture where you can approach the leadership and in in have these kinds of conversations, if you're gonna get you know chewed out and and you don't see any hope for change, then uh, what I would do is I would leave and I would try to leave as well as I could. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Hey, friends, as always, we want to thank you for listening to this podcast. And while we've got you here, we want to let you know about an important opportunity that's coming up soon. November 30th is Giving Tuesday, and we want to invite you to support Southeastern in its mission to equip students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. This year, we've set a goal of reaching 500 gifts by the end of the day on Giving Tuesday. And every dollar that you give plays a critical role in helping prepare our students for gospel ministry around the world. And get this, every gift on Giving Tuesday will be matched dollar for dollar, meaning that every dollar that you give will have double the impact. So mark your calendars for Giving Tuesday on November 30th and be a part of what God is doing in and through Southeastern to fulfill the mission. So one of the things that you mentioned in your book is that a qualified leadership candidate displays godly character, 
biblical convictions, loving care, and faithful competency over time. Doing so will establish credibility. Uh, are these things churches should evaluate when considering someone for leadership? Uh, and do you think churches do a good job of this, or do we often just yeah. really rush people into leadership positions? Yeah, uh, th- those are excellent questions, and I think that's you know one of the main reasons that I wrote this book is because h- how do you evaluate leadership for your church? So my first focus was High Point Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. And then seeing the benefits of what what we were able to put together, I thought, well, you know, I think maybe some other churches could benefit from this. And so clearly, as we look around, there has been a lot of leadership that has been elevated too quickly. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because the temptation is to elevate competency over character. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. I mean, the Bible tells us that, right? Uh, You know, when Samuel went to anoint Israel's king, um, he ended up with David, not believing it could be David. And the Lord reminded him, you know, man looks at the outward appearance, the Lord looks at the heart. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a perpetual problem for an institution, for churches in particular. Mm-hmm. You know, and one of the one of the um, the effects within the young restless reform movement that we've seen is that there were a lot of really, really competent mm-hmm. men who were elevated too quickly, and some men just cannot endure the temptation of that kind of authority Mm -hmm. and that kind of leadership. And so so we actually do harm to people when we elevate them too quickly. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at Scripture, you know, the leadership formula, it it sounds pragmatic, but but all I tried to do was put what Scripture says about leadership qualifications in a memorable form that could help anybody, hopefully in any culture, and in any context. Mm-hmm. And that is, number one, the Bible emphasizes character over competency, right? Mm-hmm. The Lord looks at the heart. When you read 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, the emphasis is character. The, the one major overarching character qualification is to be above reproach. To live your life in such a way, not, not that you're perfect, but to live your life in such a way that when accusations come, they don't stick because you've lived a life of accountability and and. In, in, in character that that you're above these accusations coming. When yeah. accusations come, you need to take them seriously. Mm-hmm. But but knowing the person, you look at their life and you say, yeah, it just doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. So character, right? First Timothy 3, Titus 1. Conviction. One of the other things that you see is uh, a pastor, elder, overseer is not to be a new convert. You know, they, they have to have an understanding of Scripture, and they have to be able to not only understand Scripture, know Scripture, but to be able to apply Scripture mm-hmm. to encourage sound doctrine and to rebuke false doctrine. Mm-hmm. And so it, it is from Scripture and our knowledge of Scripture in our doctrine, our sound doctrine, that our convictions come. So, so I use the word conviction to kind of help us understand that a a godly leader is one who knows the Bible, understands the Bible, how to apply the Bible, how to teach with patience, but also understand that doctrine in such a way that you can apply this sound doctrine scripture to current cultural issues, whether Mm -hmm. it's gender, you know, uh, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. you can apply. You have biblical convictions that emerge from scripture that are necessary to lead. And then thirdly, care. First uh, Peter 5, Jesus is the chief shepherd. Mm-hmm. He has gifted the church shepherds, human shepherds, that shepherd the church that he is leading. 
And, and one of the primary ways that we do that is by caring for the flock. I mean, that's what pastoring means is to, to care for the flock, right. both to feed and to protect. And so another way to say this is, do you love the church? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then thirdly, competency, because that is one of the, the qualification that distinguishes elders from deacons, able to teach, right. apt to teach. When you read the pastoral epistles, that apt to teach phrase tips us off. Paul's talking about elders. And then observed over time, First Timothy 5, don't lay hands on anyone too quickly. Paul gives us warrant to slow down the processes. And that's where I think a lot of churches right. have gotten in trouble. Yeah. I, I really do appreciate the elder candidate questionnaire yeah. sample that you provide in the mm-hmm. back of the book mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. It's yeah. very useful. Yeah. And, and, and frankly, that, that, um, what, what I did there is we just took the BDN of Wiles, uh He has some really good questions mm-hmm. in his book, Finding Faithful Elders and Deacons. Mm-hmm. And, and we just kind of translated that to our context, formed it into questions. And it just works through 1 yeah. Timothy 3, Titus 1, so, 5, yeah. Acts 20. Um, it, it's just taking what the Bible says and, and making it really practical. And, and we believe that observing character, you, you can observe character over time, uh, you can observe convictions over time through conversations and people's care. Love, this is an important one because uh, sometimes people just want an office or a title, but you want to observe how do they love the church? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do right. they love all the members of the church or right. just people that yeah. are like them? Yeah. And then you want to establish a track where you're observing them teaching. You you want to see them, give them feedback. Over time, that that equals credibility Mm -hmm. so that when you bring someone to the church for affirmation, it's a no brainer Mm -hmm. because the church has been seeing it. It's amazing. The Bible has everything we need to figure out if a candidate is is good That's exactly right. Now, by the way, uh, since y'all gave a nice little shout out to, uh, to the good folks down in uh, the great state of Texas, a shout out to Thabiti and the folks over in Southeast DC, uh, my stomach grounds. So so there we go. We get DC, we get Texas, everything in between. There we go. Uh, So here you are in the Austin area. Yes. And Austin, of course, is wildly diverse mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in every way, shape, yeah. and form. Yeah. Uh, even you know, even more diverse than kind of its surroundings in the state of Texas. Right. Right. Uh, how has that affected your leadership style? Sure. You know, and 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 or if it has at all, mm-hmm. uh, you know, would you would you be leading? In the same way, if you were, say, over in East Texas, sure. you know, uh, sure. as you would, uh, as you have been yeah. in, in Austin. Yeah. I think that's a, an excellent question. And so one of the things I would say is as as the senior pastor or the lead pastor who has a primary responsibility for preaching, one of the primaries we lead is through preaching. Mm-hmm. Preaching is shepherding. It's not performance. Sure. Preaching is shepherding. And so I think one of the ways that you see the differences in different contexts is the preaching because we want to preach the people we have, not the people we wish we had. Mm. And and what I mean by that is every context and every culture has its own idols, Mm -hmm. has its own proclivities. And so, you know, uh, so say in East Texas, I'm assuming, I don't know, but... In East, say in East Texas or maybe in Dallas, there's a cultural Christianity. Sure. Whereas in Austin, we have we have the uh, the freedom to speak to people directly about Christ without having to undo the cultural Christianity. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking generally, of right, course. Right, right, right. We have a lot of people moving in from different parts of the country, but also from different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. And Austin is a highly unchurched 
you know, uh, city. And, and it is diverse, not just ethnically, not, not just um, uh, culturally, but also politically. You know, mm-hmm. so it's very diverse mm-hmm. politically, you know, so so just to use the political piece, you know, part of my goal as a preacher is to undermine people's uh, idolatry of politics mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. to point their eyes forward to our heavenly king and our heavenly citizenship. Mm-hmm. And that may look different in a culture that's predominantly one political persuasion, mm-hmm. whereas in our context, it's it's a diverse political persuasion. So sometimes I have to push against both sides, right? You right. know, to undermine both ideologies, mm-hmm. and so so it looks different in the preaching. But um, uh, but but again, you, you have to know your people, you have to know your congregation, and you have to lead them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that I was blessed, we were talking uh, on our way over here that I was a member of, of Open Door. Uh, and one of the things that Open Door has is a two-year mentorship program that I have been blessed by. Um, should every church consider having a internship or mentorship program for the development of leaders in their churches? Yeah, that's a helpful question. Um, I think every church should be deliberately raising up pastors right, in their context for their church. Mm-hmm. That's the first priority. You know, and that's what's happening in 2 Timothy 2, too. So this is especially true if you're the lone pastor in a church of, you know, 50 to 75. Um, you need to always have your radar up to be identifying men who the language we use is elder trajectory. Mm-hmm. You know, guys who evidence some character and, and faithfulness, who mm-hmm. evidence mm-hmm. a desire for the scriptures, a knowledge of the scriptures, um, who, you know, evidence a love for the church. Um, we want to be looking for those guys, and mm-hmm. every pastor should prioritize just grabbing one, two, three, four guys, however many you're able to identify, and just invest in them and pour into them. You know, maybe take them through First Timothy, then Second Timothy, then Titus, and uh, and then turn them around and and send them to the congregation and say, now you guys find one or two others. Mm-hmm. You know, that will help develop a culture of discipleship. You know, this is what we see in the trellis and the vine. Mm-hmm. This just kind of intentionality. Right. And so we want to always be raising up leaders in the church. Now, if your church has the opportunity, the giftedness in leadership and the resources, and you want to bless other churches in your community, I think it's a very worthwhile project. You know, So I don't think every church has to have an internship, but I think if, if, if the senior pastor or there's, there's some pastors that have the desire to bless even other churches in the community. Think it, Think of it this way, okay? We're to be identifying faithful men who are able to teach in our congregation so that they might be future leaders, so that they can continue the teaching legacy after we're gone. Mm. But if we have the ability, the resources, and the giftedness, are there other churches in our community that we can bless? Mm-hmm. Mm. And so, so think of it that way with that kind of intentionality. Uh, and, then, and then there are other providential circumstances like proximity to a seminary. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That, you know, if, if you have proximity to a seminary and you have the resources and the giftedness, I would highly encourage you to, to think about uh, training future church planters, pastors and missionaries, uh, because because what we learn in the local church cannot be taught in the seminary. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, yeah. and it's important to learn. You know, one of the biggest issues we're facing right now in pastoral theology, in church planning and in missions 
is a lack of ecclesiology. Mm-hmm. And so that has to be learned in, in a healthy church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, two more questions. Uh, so this one might be a no brainer, might be an easy one for mm-hmm. you to answer. Should pastors read books on leadership? There's yeah. so many different types of books on leadership sure. out there. So sure. would you give any warnings to pastors if you would say they, they should read books on leadership? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have a friend. Um, uh, a, a year ago, we were together in Columbia, and, and I was having this conversation, and I, I said, you you know, you, you like to poo-poo on leadership books. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and there's a mentality, at least within within the tribe that I run, you know, that uh, leadership books are just pragmatic. And, and what I told my brother is uh, he is so gifted in leadership. And in part, uh, this is a broader answer to the question, in part because he's a historian. Hmm. He reads biographies, you know, and, and so he has a real knowledge of mm-hmm. pastors and people throughout history of the world. And, and, and it's just how God has wired him that he doesn't need to read leadership books. It's, it, there's a giftedness there from the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, and he draws people. And my point to him was not all of us are like that. Mm-hmm. Some of us need help. And some of us need to know what you know. So write it down for us. And so, so we, we can learn a lot, right. you know, from, from people, from leadership. Some leadership stuff is cheesy, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but we can, learn, we can learn some things from others, especially in areas of weakness. And again, you, you need to know your pro- proclivities as well. You know, do you, do you tend toward passivity? Do you tend toward domination? You know, um, uh, if you tend toward domination, read J. Oswald Sanders' Spiritual Leadership. You know, um, of, of course, every Christian, and especially every pastor, should be uh, imbibing in the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. We need to be in the Scriptures. We need to be Christians with a, with a robust devotional life. Um, and then in addition to that, reading books that can help us think through our weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Maybe a weakness is organizational or administrative, mm-hmm. um, and, and we can use some help in those areas. And so I, I would say, just like anything, read with a filter. Uh, you know, take what can be helpful to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've learned some things from people that I probably wouldn't listen to their preaching, but there's just some some simple things that I've learned that have been helpful to me. And so I, I learned that I... I benefit from that. I just started last night uh, reading on grand strategy, you know. So, uh, so just little, you know, just whatever helps you. I would, I would argue though, um, to my friend's point, don't just read leadership books. Read biographies, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Christian biographies, military biographies. You know, read how people led. You know, um, you know. So, so as I read about people, uh, several years ago, I listened on Audible to the. The, the three-volume biography of Winston Churchill. And uh, it was just fascinating to read. But you begin to pick up how people lead, what they do well, what they do poorly, you know. And, and so I, th- I, I find that helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've mentioned several uh, books here. We've mentioned uh, Trellis and the Vine. Yes. Uh, of course, we've mentioned your book, uh, yeah. Thabiti's book on elders and deacons, Sanders on spiritual leadership. Yeah. Uh, what are some other resources yeah. where you say, you know, these are good, uh, even even the biographies and so on? Uh, you know, what are some resources where you say, hey, you know, if you want to uh, at least get a, a, a jump start, you know, on, sure. on uh, a jump start library, if you will, right. uh, on leadership, what right. are some books that you would say must read? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I haven't thought about that uh, too much. Um, so I would I, I want to emphasize scripture mm-hmm. because I think sometimes we can neglect scripture. Mm-hmm. I, I think 
as pastors and leaders, we need to be reading um, like three to five chapters of Scripture a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to always be working through the Bible uh, in different ways, chronologically, different translations. We need to immerse ourselves in the Word of God, and we need to be we need to be men of prayer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we can easily just assume those things. But uh, I, I, so re- really, you know, books that help you understand the Scriptures. Books that encourage you to prayer. I mean, that, that's just really important. Um, uh, I'll, I'll give you a, a, one book that was really helpful that you can get it online for free. And that is um, John Piper has this little book that's not really well known. It's called The Marks of a Leader or The Marks of a Spiritual Leader. Hmm. Uh, I, I think that's what it's called. I'll, I'll look it up here in a moment. But um, it, it's just really, really helpful. Um, and I actually went through it through in my devotions just one mark at a time mm. you know he he looks at leadership from a biblical perspective and he has an inner ring and an outer ring of characteristics and i just found that to be really helpful um to my soul hmm. and um uh that's where i would start i'm yeah i'm looking up here right now uh the marks of a spiritual leader and it's on the Design God website. You can download it for free. And um, uh, again, as you can imagine, Piper is very thoughtful and very biblically rooted. Um, so that's a helpful book, you know, to, to begin with. Um, uh, and yeah, I don't, I, I don't, it, it's funny, I do read a lot of leadership books, <laughs> but uh, I, I would encourage you to read biographies, you know, specifically military biographies. That's where you see a lot of leadership emerge and strategy. Uh, those kinds of things. Um, Christian biographies of pastors. Uh, by my bedside, I have Martin Lloyd-Jones, two volumes, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm reading through the first volume right now. And again, we just pick up so much mm-hmm. from from those stories. Even more, I would actually even push people more toward those biographies in, in, in those kinds of books. Uh, Preaching and Preachers by Lloyd-Jones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, that's just really helpful. Um, to me, and, and I would welcome your recommendations because not a lot of like leadership titles are coming to me yeah. uh, right now. But um, but but the marks of a spiritual leader by Piper is really helpful. Mm. And then this the biographies that I've read mm. have been really helpful. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. Well, that'll do it for today's discussion, brother. I want to thank you again for taking some time to join our conversation. If you don't already own a copy of the Leadership Formula, change that today by adding this fantastic resource to your library. And we want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If this conversation was helpful in any way, uh, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear any feedback uh, you'd be willing to give us. As always, it is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors. And I hope we've done that today with our conversation. And as always, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.